Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. If I've met you before, my name's Anthony. I'm one of the pastors here at York Street. It's my joy to be sharing the word with you today. I wonder if we've got anyone in the house that might be a bit biased. Uh, probably not. That's all right. Maybe if it comes to football, probably got a bias against the team that you, you follow. What about your children and grandchildren? They're so amazing. They're the best. Until they're not. But then that's okay. Um, I wonder if when we come to to God, whether we just hold a certain perception. Check out this photo. Do you see God like this? This old guy in the sky who just controls everything? What about our image of Jesus? He's meant to be Middle Eastern, though, and it's like he's been to the barber. What about heaven? Yeah, that's what it'll be like, right? We'll know exactly what it looks like because of the big sign at the door. I wonder if we consider this box as our life, those, those experiences we've had, maybe our faith journey, our education, our, our upbringing. We kind of have this particular worldview, don't we? It might be all different for each and every one of us. We're a product of where we've grown up, what we've been through. And so if this box is our life, Sometimes I feel like we're kind of at risk of trying to just fit God into our circumstance. If we shrink him down to our scenario, our worldview, it keeps things comfortable, doesn't it? Today I wonder as we approach the scriptures whether we might just park some of those biases aside. Because in fact, as we press into God's word, as we consider what he looks like, his power, his incredible, incredible love for us, we soon realise that we actually don't have any idea at all because we're just human, yeah? So why don't we today just park that aside, those biases, those, those, those influences in our life. We're just going to sit here for about 30 minutes while we jump into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we know we come before you with our worldly experiences, with our, with our upbringing, with our education, with our circumstances. Father, today, would you show us your true self? Would we put those things aside? Would we cast them away so that we might just open our eyes a bit wider, open our minds a bit wider, and open our hearts to you? Father, would you speak to us today as we, we step into your scriptures would you reveal something new to us about yourself today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You ready for a history lesson? Yeah, I know you are. And I thought, you know, 11 o'clock, you're pretty like, you know, you're hip, you're cool cats. What better way to speak to you than maybe emojis? Yeah? So I'm going to try and explain to you the entire Old Testament narrative. It's not that big, right? in emojis. Let's see how we go. So in the beginning, there was a tree 
God created. God created the earth. God created his, uh, his people to, to dwell in relationship with him. Everything was perfect. There was just love everywhere. Perfect love. But then we know by Genesis 3, that relationship was broken. There was a snake and heart, uh, God's heart was broken because his people rebelled against him. Things need to be repaired, right? So what's he do? Sends a flood. And he lets this guy, Noah, he knows the guy, who's going to gather all creation up, two of every, everything, and there's going to be, you know, they're going to be able to re- recreate everything. So there's this flood and a ship that may or may not have had sails. And then what happens? The father of Israel, right? Abraham. Yeah? So God makes this agreement with Abraham and says, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to rebuild this relationship. Everything's going to be okay. And then another guy, Moses, he parts the sea and leads everyone into the wilderness. Not sure how many trees are in Israel, but anyway. But this relationship's still broken. And so God raises up people called judges. Some are good, some are bad. Some try and build, you know, rebuild this relationship. But the people of Israel are like, no, we need a king to lead us. And so he appoints a king. Some are good, some are bad. And so this is kind of where we're at in this Old Testament narrative today as we unpack Isaiah. But beyond that, there's a division of the kingdom, right? So there's a northern part and a southern part. Get it? Yeah, good. And then the people of Israel are exiled. So they're all sent away. I got it the right way this time. This morning I went the wrong way. And then things go silent for about 400 years until Jesus. Yeah? That's kind of, in a nutshell, the Old Testament. And so we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6 today. I reckon for probably at least 20 years, maybe more, um, we've been anticipating the death of Her Majesty the Queen, yeah? And we've been wondering, and, you know, that, that came to fruition at, uh, in September, and what the world would look like after she passed away, right? It was a, it, like this changing of the guard, this, this new era, particularly because she'd been on the throne for 70 years, right? And so the, the start of Chapter 6 in Isaiah is kind of at this point in time where a similar thing has happened. The king at the time, his name is Uzziah, not to be confused with Isaiah. Stay with me, though. King Uzziah, prophet Isaiah. And so King Uzziah has been been reigning Judah, the southern kingdom, for about 52 years. So there's been stability and there's been prosperity, and he's kind of considered one of these good kings, right? But like all good things, they kind of come to an end. And so... King Uzziah starts to be prideful. He starts to um, elevate himself above God, right? And so what happens? He gets leprosy 
and he dies. And so we read in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles that because of his disobedience to God, he, he, he dies. And then there's this, this, this point in time where things in the future look uncertain. Isaiah finds himself in this error-defining moment in time, this precarious situation that actually means that the nation of Israel are kind of in a precarious position. They, they could become under attack at any moment because there's instability in the leadership, right? So if you have your Bibles, let's open to chapter 6 of Isaiah. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That doesn't sound, you know, um, you know ridiculously exciting. But what we need to realise is this opening line in Isaiah 6 actually is saying, in the year that the king died, I saw the king. In the year that the earthly king died, I saw the heavenly king. In the year that King Uzziah died, my eyes were opened to the truth. So let's, let's read on. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. See, in this vision, Isaiah gets to peek, to peek inside the throne room of God. We can't really comprehend what that would look like. People throughout history have tried to recount what the scriptures have described And this is where our biases come in, right? We have this idea of what heaven might look like, what God on the throne might look like, what the angels might look like. But in fact, do we really have any idea at all? Because we're just human, right? The more we read, the more we try to get our heads around it, in fact, we realise that we probably don't know that much. I don't know about you, but we throw around this word awesome a lot, right? I'm totally guilty of it. I use it all the time. And maybe I shouldn't because really what in this world could be awesome in comparison, in comparison to seeing God, right? God's presence, seeing him face to face, experiencing him. Now that's awesome. Agree? Yeah. What in this earthly existence could be worthy of our awe more than God himself? And see, Isaiah experiences God's sovereignty. He is high and exalted. There's none superior to him. Just the trail of his robe fills the temple, not the whole robe. Even God's angels, the seraphim, these six-winged creatures flying around him. This is what an artist's impression of that could look like. All the wings and the light and the stuff. Cool. Cool. We don't know how many of them there are, but like it's heaven, so there must be heaps, right? And the scripture says at least two of them are singing to one another, backwards and forwards. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord 
Almighty. See, holy means that God is not only morally perfect, completely pure, completely righteous, but he's set apart from any other physical or spiritual being. The scriptures show that the Lord isn't just holy, he's in fact holy, holy, holy. And see, in the Hebrew language, when we want to explain how how monumental something is, how incredible it is, we use repetition. It's kind of like if I was to say, oh, it's a hot day today. Tomorrow, it's very hot. And then the day after, it's the hottest day ever. Right? It's exaggerating the fact. But in Hebrew, there's not these, these terms. So we use repetition to convey what we're trying to say. Holy, holy, holy. This is like peak holiness, right? Three times. It's like saying holy, holier, holiest. Just close your eyes for a minute. The scripture says the door shook. These voices shook the doorposts and the thresholds and the temple was filled with smoke. Imagine how loud. Imagine what you can hear as the temple shakes. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. You can open your eyes. One commentator puts it like this. There's no one like him. He has no equals, no opposite match, no rival to his might, no competitor to his throne. Add all the brilliance and strength of every person that's ever lived, every society, every institution and nation, and it would be a speck in the bucket compared to how extraordinary God is. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of this, this holiness, this purity, the glory of God. But see, too often we have a small view of God, don't we? Because we need him to fit into our box. Because it's convenient and it's comfortable. And because the smaller we make God, the less seriously we need to take him. We can treat God as an add-in, as optional. Someone to fit into our plans and our ways. But see, God isn't small or insignificant. He's bigger and stronger and more powerful than we can ever possibly imagine. Our brains actually can't compute this. See, he's transcendent. He's other. He's exalted. He's not distant. And his glory spills onto his creation. Isaiah just gets a glimpse of how grand the glory of God is, how amazing, how awesome he is is but see Isaiah doesn't just think I'm the man that got to see God I'm a VIP I got the front row seat he doesn't respond like that chapter 5 uh, a big pardon, verse 5 says woe to me I cried this is Isaiah speaking woe to me I am ruined For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
Isaiah isn't proud with some sort of inflated self-righteousness. It reveals his sinfulness. For I am a man of unclean lips. And it reveals the sinfulness of his people. I live among a people of unclean lips. But also, and maybe more importantly, he grasps the incompatibility of his sin and God's glory. See, they can't coexist. They can't be in the same place at the same time. Isaiah, Isaiah understands that he's totally out of place in the context of God's perfection, his holiness, his magnificent glory. How could I compare to any of this? See, he has this revelation of his, his own failings. We often think about spiritual encounters with God. Sometimes we kind of romanticise them. Sometimes they seem serene and tranquil and lovely and beautiful, which they can be. But that's not what we read in Scripture time and time again. We see that in particularly the Old Testament, an encounter with God was really quite a dangerous thing, often resulted in death or at least your face glowed in the dark. But see, God isn't tame or docile. Note that even the, the, the seraphim, the, the six-winged angels, that they fly about using two wings, but they have two wings to cover their face because they can't look directly at God. The other two wings are covering their body because it's impure, it's dirty, it can't be confronted by God. And see, Isaiah sees this in himself. And we kind of think, oh, but we're, we're pretty good people. We're okay. Surely I'm okay. But I wonder how much injustice and, and sin we, we're, we're willing to tolerate in our own lives. God's plan is for none. In fact, holiness and sin can't coexist, yeah? We have this tendency to underestimate not only the heights of God's glory, but we underestimate the depths of our own sin. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Again, our, our biases probably kick in and this account seems otherworldly and magical. We don't know what it could have possibly been like. Remember, this is a temple, and that's why there's an altar. The fire represents God's anger against sin. And so when, when a Jewish person hears Isaiah's vision, and Isaiah himself as he's experiencing it, this coal being taken from the altar, we, they would have thought of the Day of Atonement, where, where a high priest would have, would have taken the coals and where sacrifices would have been made on behalf of other people's sins. And so this, this coal is tangible evidence that a sacrifice has been made on behalf of someone's sin. Isaiah, right? And so when the, when the seraph takes the coal and places it on his lips, Isaiah knows instantly that a sacrifice for his sin has taken place. And so we hear this declaration that his guilt is taken away and his sin is atoned for. 
I'm not sure about you, but I don't know what in that moment those hot coals touching his lips would have felt like. Part of me is kind of like hot coals, like hot, right? But in fact, it's God's glory. God taking away those, those insufficiencies, those sins in our life, those, those ways in which we don't measure up. That wouldn't be painful, would it? See, we don't know. Isaiah, in complete humility, confesses his sin and God paves a way for him to experience not only his forgiveness but his grace. The amazing news is that the same can be said for us, right? Now, today, this side of the cross, so many years later, when we see our sinfulness for what it really is, it can be painful, absolutely, ever so confronting. It's confronting to recognise that maybe we've hurt people, Maybe we've let people down. Maybe we've let God down. And it's confronting to realise that actually we can't do anything about it. We can't repay the debt. We can't physically or spiritually do anything to repair that relationship. The incredible news is that when we realise that, when we realise that it's not through our own actions, it's in that moment and that space we have the opportunity to receive God's grace. And we have an opportunity to come before the person that made the difference, the one who has the ability to do something about it, the Lord Jesus. We can be assured of forgiveness because probably even in a greater way than Isaiah himself, there was an altar that was the cross where a sacrifice was made and an exchange between our sin and his grace and love for us. Our sin is atoned for through the blood of Jesus. So then it makes sense, only makes sense to do just one thing in response. And that's exactly what Isaiah does. In verse 8 it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. We just sung these words in in the song just now. Even before you ask, my answer will be yes. If the truth cuts like an arrow, I will say it anyway. Here I am, Lord, send me. How many times has someone asked you for a favour? Hey, can you do me a favour? My answer is always, every time, Maybe. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to commit to it. But here's Isaiah, right? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here I am. Send me. How could he say no to the the holy, holy, holy God who has just taken away his guilt? How could we? And then... After he said yes and committed, the Lord reveals to him the task. He said, God, go tell this, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. 
Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and, be turn, and turn and be healed. I feel like this is kind of God being slightly sarcastic. He's kind of set him up to fail. <laughs> He's got his agreement and now actually you're not going to succeed at it. People aren't going to listen. People aren't going to, aren't going to turn to me. This is going to be a thankless and difficult task ahead of you. God's in effect saying everything you preach will never be understood. People aren't going to respond. I've already given them all the opportunities and they've chosen arrogance and separation every time. So good luck with that. And then Isaiah says, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again laid waste. How does Isaiah respond? Probably dragging his feet. He's reluctant to do it, but he goes and he does exactly that. See, having an encounter with God face to face, being confronted by his own sin and by the grace extended by God, Isaiah submits his life to service. No matter the cost, no matter the outcome. Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm all in. And so things for the Israelite nation look pretty bleak right now. The scriptures say they're not going to turn back. But in the final verse of chapter 6 of Isaiah, we see just this hint of hope. The tiny light, just when you think everything's lost, when the outlook is dark, without promise. God reveals this tiny gem in the final words of this chapter. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This image reminds me, you know, when there's been a bushfire through and everything's black and dark, Everything is burnt. And in those, those coming hours and coming days, because of all the water, hopefully trying to extinguish the fire, we see just a glimmer of green where there's new life, a seed has germinated, and there's hope for the future. That's what God shows Isaiah. Yes, there'll be judgment Things are bleak, it's dark times, but it's not the end. For even out of the stump there will be a holy seed. God will continue to work in his people. God will bring about his promises and his purposes. And we know that God will provide the ultimate seed, Jesus, right? But this account in Isaiah is 700 years or so before Jesus before he was born, before all of his ministry, before he died and rose again. 700 years. But then, just in the next chapter, just over the page, it says this. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, the Israelite nation, right? Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, 
the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 700 years before. God has a plan. There is a hope. The Jewish people were waiting on the Messiah, the atoning sacrifice for their sins, restoring that broken relationship that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. This is the glimmer of hope. So what does that mean for us? My question to us today is, have you seen God's glory? Have you experienced him? Have you seen him? Have you felt him? Have you seen God at work in your life, in the life of those around you? Have you had a revelation of you in relation to him? Have you experienced his incredible grace in your life? Have you placed him as your Lord and Saviour? And what is your response to his incredible holiness? Have you submitted your life to his service, whatever that might look like? Regardless of the cost, regardless of the outcome, when things look bleak, when no one's listening, will you say, here I am, Lord, send me. See, the one hope for the people of Israel is the coming Messiah. We have the benefit of history. We know that Jesus did in fact come to earth as a baby, like the scripture said, 700 years before. So I wonder whether you need a glimpse of his glory today. Do you need his grace in your life? Or is today the day that you stand up and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Today, if you're feeling prompted by God in any of those areas or any other area of your life, during this last song or after the service, there's there's people who would love to pray with you. Staff in the front row, if you want to come forward or, or turn to the person next to you for a community of prayers here if there's something going on for you don't leave this place today unchanged by God let's pray together Heavenly Father we thank you for this time we just thank you for your incredible glory that you reveal to us in each and every interaction we have with you Father would we not take it for granted those times when when you've shown up in our lives May we attribute those those interactions to you, your incredible goodness, your incredible grace and your incredible love for each one of us. Father, if we're confronted today, confronted by our sin, confronted by your grace, may we step forward and say, Lord, I need you. I need your support. I need your care. I need your love because you are the, the almighty Father, the one who chose us by name and gave us a life and a plan and a purpose for the future. Father God, would you prompt us to be your servants? Would we step out, step out today, raise our hands to heaven and say, here I am, Lord, send 
me. Lord God, be with us right now. Amen. Why don't we stand together?
why don't you close your eyes? Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Just like the Israelites were looking for that glimmer of hope in the coming Messiah. I wonder whether you have a revelation of what life after death might look like. Do you have an image of what heaven will look like? But I don't know about you. I don't want to reach heaven alone. I don't want to be there without my kids. I don't want to be there without my grandkids that I haven't even met yet. As we go from this place today, would we be people that say, here I am, Lord, send me. They need to hear this message. As we go today, just spend a moment in reflection. What does heaven look like to you? And who might be missing out? Thanks for being with us. Take a moment if you need it. We're here to pray with you. We're here to journey through life together. Take care and we'll see you soon. If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, Life can be tough, so let's do it together.